0: We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Hey, we are uh, kicking off a new series this week. So let's, let's read our scripture here and then we'll jump into it. It says this, and it'll seem a little obscure, but when we get deeper in, it'll make sense. However, in the cities of the nations of the Lord, your God is giving you as an inheritance. Do not leave alive anything that breathes. Pretty hardcore animal, people, whatever. Do not leave anything alive that breathes. Completely destroy them. The Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Pezzerites, uh the Hivitites, Hitt- the Jebusites, all those sites, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time this morning. God, speak to us. Let us have ears to hear and a heart that would receive the truth of your word. God, let us put all of our stuff to the side. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fall on this place and that you'd speak to us today. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Did my mic just change in the middle of a a powerful prayer? (laughs) Okay. We good? Alrighty. Sorry about that. Alright, so we are kicking off this new series 37. 37%. 37%. If you were with us last week, you'll know what I'm talking about, but we'll recap it real quick. But here's the thing I want to do during this series. If you would like, um, if you have questions, if if there's something that I say that you're like, I I need more clarity or I have a question, um, you can text us at this number. And at the end of the service, I'll take a few minutes and I'll answer some questions if I can. This is not stump the pastor. Don't ask some obscure thing to try to tick me off because I don't know the answer okay just be nice but if you literally have something I would love to be able to tackle it and and I may or may not be able to answer but I can always come back with the answer so um, so during this series this is what we're going to do 37% and it's based around this survey that Barna did and it says this a majority of American Christian pastors this is crazy a majority of American Christian pastors do not carry a biblical world view just asked that question. Text the questions. You don't yell them out. Come on, Bill. Uh, I'm going to explain it to you. 37%. The, <laughs> don't you, I guarantee you no one, well, Rick Warren's not there anymore. He's yelling at Rick Warren, what is that this morning? I love it. That's what I love about this church. In fact, just slightly more than a third, 37% have a biblical worldview um, and the majority, 62%, possess a hybrid worldview known as as syncretism. What does that look like? What did Varna what did study? That's, let's look at it. How did he get these statistics? The survey was based on 54 questions in eight categories related to biblical worldview. And these are the eight topics that we're going to tackle over the next eight weeks so that you would have a foundation, that you would know what a biblical worldview is, that you could walk in a biblical worldview. I'm going to show you why it's important. I'm going to show you what it is and what we're going to do. Purpose and calling on life, family and the value of life, God, creation, and history, faith practice. This is sin and salvation, uh, human character and human nature, lifestyle, personal behavior and relationships, beliefs and behaviors related to the Bible, truth and morality. It's pretty encompassing. This is the foundation for a biblical worldview. As Christians, this is what we're supposed to stand on and how we're supposed to walk it out. Why this series on biblical worldview? Because I was reading Revelations because... Um, I, uh, and this, I kept coming to this Revelations 3.16 and you know it's, it's where he talks about the churches and uh, it says this so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold I will spit you out of my mouth I can't sit here as a pastor and preach the gospel I can't come here and, and, and walk with you uh, who are part of this church and, uh, and think that, that you would even sit in this place of being lukewarm. Now, it's your choice. You can do it. But, but I've got to preach from such a way that when you walk out of here, at the very least, there's a conviction about your lukewarmness. At the very least, you thought about it. At the very least, you walked out and said, okay, maybe I need to look at this. But this scripture scares me it scares me it causes me to look in the mirror it's why I regularly say let's look in the mirror let's look at ourselves let's look in the mirror why a series on biblical worldview I believe difficult times are coming now you go wait a second difficult times are coming haven't we just been in difficult times I feel like as I'm praying and I'm not saying this is a prophetic word from God as I look at the 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 tea leaves is that, what, is that reading the tea leaves? I don't know. Is that? That's probably not biblical. Sorry. As I, okay. As I read the Wall Street Journal, as I read the Wall Street Journal, it says this. There, there's a two-sided coin that's going on right now. One says recession on it, okay, and one says inflation or hyperinflation. Flip the coin, whichever one you land on, it's crap. You look at what's going on in this nation. I think personally as I pray, and again, not a prophetic word. Get it for yourself. But I'm not going to be caught going, what just happened? I think times are getting tougher. When you look at this word, when you look at this world, when you look at this country, when you look at what's going on around us, when you look at our leaders that are godless... I'm not saying leaders prior to this leadership were godly. I'm saying the leaders that we have are godless. I think we're heading in some tough times. Here's what happens in tough times. Lines are drawn, and you choose which side you sit on, or more importantly, people watch and they see who you are and which side you sit on. I believe difficult times are coming. I don't want to bum you out this morning. But, but be prepared. Part of my job is to say be prepared. Who possesses a biblical worldview? When he did the study, this is who he, 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 he said possesses in what uh, what it looks like. Among senior lead pastors, 41%. Yay. 41%. Of the guys that that are leading churches have a biblical worldview. Associate pastors, 28%. Teaching pastors, 13%. The guys that are teachers that are sitting up here, 13% have a biblical worldview. 13% of what they preach is foundationally taken from what this word says. The reason that we have church, the reason that we profess Christ is around the truth of this Bible Yet 13% truly live uh, an encompassing world view. Children's pastors, that ought to scare the hell out of you. 12%. 12%. What do worldviews encompass? What does a worldview look like? Every worldview includes these areas. Yeah, they'll argue and say one or two here or there or not. But, but for the most part, this is what a worldview holds. It's a God. Now you say, well, secular worldview is uh, they don't believe there's a God. Well, they do. They believe that they're God. They might not come out and say I'm God, but a secular humanist says, I take the rules, I dictate what happens, I say what's right or wrong in my life and in your life, and it's all relative. Therefore, they deem themselves as God. Knowledge, epistemology, origin, humanity, morality, salvation, meaning, and destiny. These are all encompass a worldview. Now, when you look at that and you think about it, and you think about what's driving our culture... You can see the absence of conviction in these areas. Look, I don't want us to be ever, ever be called lukewarm. Now, let me clarify something. Because every one of you and me walks through periods of time where you're going, that's a lukewarm Christian. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you being all right with your sin. I'm talking about you having no conviction for being lukewarm. That's what I'm talking about. That's what the church, what he was talking about to that church in Revelation. So let's look at a biblical worldview versus secular worldview. And this first one is more foundational. I'm going to tackle something, but I want you to just see so you have an understanding so that you walk in a biblical world. Biblical worldview versus a secular worldview. The secular worldview is a religious worldview in which man is the measure. The secular worldview is all about a man, about you. That's what I talked about. There is a God in secular humanism. It's you. Mankind is the ultimate norm by which truth and values are to, to be determined. In other words, you get to dictate what is truth. You get to dictate what is valuable. You dictate whether life is valuable or not valuable, whether, uh, uh, whether, truth is truth or not truth whether a boy is a boy or a girl is a girl whether a man is a man or a woman is a woman you get to determine all of those things in secular humanism all reality and life is centered upon human beings in this world view in fact we act as God when you think about the world and where we're at today do you see anybody who lives in this can, can you go, man, that, that makes sense. Do you see this going forth anywhere in the world today? There are two basic training thoughts regarding human, uh, humanity currently operating in America today. There, there's, there's, these are the two main contrasting thoughts that are going forth. Number one, Christianity possesses a healthy awareness of original sin. You know what that is, Romans 3 or actually, excuse me, Genesis 3, original sin, man fall. He fell and sin enters the world. Secularists, do not believe in sin at all. It's all relative. There is no right and wrong. There is no right and there is no wrong. What I determine to be right is right for me. What you determine to be right for you is right for you, regardless of how it affects others around you. It's focused on an individual. The individual who gets to determine what right and wrong is. So then when they offend you, when they hurt you, when they do whatever they do to you, it becomes all right because they're able to rationalize it in their mind and saying, Hey, it's relative. It's not sin. It's not wrong. Why? Because I say it's not wrong. Christianity believes human behavior starts with the heart. Everything starts in your heart. It is a basis, it's a wellspring, the Bible says, of life. Everything comes out of that. The secularists say that human behavior is determined by external forces like education or income. What they would say to us as secularists is this. You were born in a certain area with a certain income. And therefore, because of that, it determines who you are and your parents determined what you will do. So you can't break out of anything. You are, you are, you're put in this box because you're born here, there, or the other place. The Bible says that all men are created equal. Any man, any woman can pull themselves out of wherever they were born and have hope and that hope is in christ jesus christianity understands human reason is twisted by sin that the reason that we see what we see on television the reason that we experience what we're experiencing in this nation is because of sin because sin twists truth and here's what we see whenever god brings truth or brings something good in life the enemy comes and he twists it give an example the internet brilliant it opens up the world. What does the enemy do? He takes it and uses it for human trafficking. Takes it, he uses it for pornography. He takes it and he uses it for all these things that are destructive. Always imitating in the opposite of what God does. Secularists human believe that there's uh, uh, Christianity understands human reason twisted. Secularism believes the human reason is the path to progress that as i get smarter as i understand more then we will progress not that god is the end game christianity considers a person to be a spiritual being being created by god you're created by god therefore there's value in your life you are valuable because god created you secularism thinks that humans are an animal the byproduct of purely material chance this is key devoid of common purpose no purpose. Hopelessness. That's secular humanism. That's a worldview that is being, being, being espoused today in our nation, throughout the world. Christian worldview, God is the center. In the secular worldview, man is the center. In the Christian worldview, God is the Him, Jesus, the gospel of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. This is where I sit. This is where I worship. In a secular worldview, I am the man in the center. And that sounds really intriguing. It sounds pretty good that I be the man. Come on, there's got to be a comment in there somewhere that I am the man. I mean, we all live on some level we go, I'm the man or I'm the woman. We all act as though we are the man or we are the woman at at a certain time, you know. It's, you know, LeBron James always acts like he's the man. He's not the man. Michael Jordan's the man. We all know that. I love you, Heidi. (laughs) Heidi. Secular worldview centers around you. Here's the problem with this. Is anyone not gonna go to the grave? Do you know anybody who hasn't died? Do you know anybody over a hundred years, let's clarify that, who hasn't died? Everybody goes into the grave. What happens to the man at the end of his life? His life is over. Then what? You put all your trust, all your faith, all your money, all your time, all your energy into who you are. And it's gone. Christianity focuses on the Creator, on the Father, and who He is. So we have two worldviews. Christian worldview, and when you look at Revelation, hot. Meaning, if you're you're living in a Christian worldview then, then this, this whole neither hot nor cold, cold doesn't matter we have a secular world view which is cold the furthest thing from God that there can be and then we have this lukewarm church now let's remember when I say church who is the church? Are. you are you are so we have a universal church throughout the world. There's churches meeting everywhere, a universal church. And then we have the church, you guys, individuals as members of the church, members of the body. And that's what this scripture is, is talking about. And, and I need us over these next eight weeks to look and say, am I a lukewarm Christian? Am I living as a lukewarm Christian? Or am I truly living a biblical worldview? Why? Because I think when things get tough, this is the only thing that you got. This is the only thing that you got. I was uh, I was talking to a, a, a friend, I think it was this week, maybe it was last week, and uh, it, it, life was falling apart. Marriage, lost a family member, just everything was, was going the wrong direction. And, and literally... Um, we we're talking about this and worldviews and stuff. And, and we got to this point where he said, literally, All I got is, is this. All I got is Jesus. Look, my world is falling apart. How do I sit here in, a, in a secular humanism and say, I'm the man? I, when your world's going nuts, when your kids are screwy and, and your finances are all over the place, how can you actually stand there and say, I'm the man, I'm the woman? It's foolishness. But I know this, when everything's going south, here's what I say. Oh, God, thank you that you are the creator of heaven and earth. Because I got nothing. I got nothing. Oh, how are we doing back there? Clicker. Um, Here's the key. Our worldviews describe our beliefs, or lack thereof, which lead to our actions, in other words, your faith is directly connected to your actions. If you find yourself, your actions not matching up to what this word says, then your biblical worldview is probably off a little bit. It's that be and do tension that we talk about. The be and do tension is really uh, out of this scripture. This thing, Seth, can you roll with me because this isn't, isn't working. The be and do comes from Romans 12.2 is one of the, the places. It says, do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of the mind and testing your, you may discern what is the will of God. What is good, acceptable, and perfect. Romans 12.1. The be and do is this. I sit in this place of being saved by grace. There's nothing I have to do to get that. But the do side of it is finding the will of God, walking in it, and the fullness of it. It's this tension. Don't ever get caught in that. We talk about it regularly. Don't get caught in this if I do this, if I do that, if I give this, if I come to this, if I come to prayer on Wednesday mornings, then God will accept me. No, 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 no. God accepted you when you came into relationship with Him, period. No question. But the be and do tension is God accepts me regardless. How do I not go and be who God has called me to be and do what God has called me to do? That's the church our worldviews describe our beliefs which lead to our actions if that is true if that is true and this statistic is true slightly more than a third 37% have a biblical worldview then go ahead and what is the result what is the result Here's, here's what we see Christians living in bondage in fear, anger, doubt, and habitual sin. I, I'm always perplexed by the fact that, that I, we can say that we're Christians, that Jesus is our deliverer, that there's no, there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus, and I'm a new creation in Christ, yet, yet I live in fear. I'm always perplexed by the fact that, 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 you know, what this Bible says about me and who God says I am and the freedom that comes with this, yet the church sits in anger or doubt or habitual sin. It's a result of not walking in a true biblical worldview. It's a result of not understanding what the Scripture says about me. It's a result of this... I'm going to show you. Go ahead. <laughs> whoa, back, sorry, I don't know if this thing is, uh... whoa, <laughs> are you playing with me now? You're messing with me, aren't you? <laughs> okay, what's the result? This is a strong piece of evidence, what we're seeing, that culture is influencing America, that culture is influencing the American church more than the Christian church is influencing culture. There's this, there's this subtle shift that is happening, that has happened Thirty years ago, church influenced culture. Seventy years ago, church influenced. A hundred years ago, church influenced. When this, family, this nation was founded, the church influenced the culture and the founding of this nation. Today, it has flipped on its ear, and it's the opposite. Therefore, when we see defeat in a biblical worldview... I believe the reason that defeat is the most common experience that many Christians today have is due to this word, syncretism. Barna used it. Barna introduces us to this word, syncretism. In his study, he says this, as I read earlier, a majority of American Christian pastors do not carry a biblical worldview. Well, what do they carry then? In fact, just slightly more than a third, 37%, have a biblical worldview. And the majority, the majority of pastors, and I would venture to say the majority of the church, people in the church, carry this same view, syncretism. What is syncretism? It's a noun. I had to look that up. Thank you, Gina Blair. (laughs) It's the amalgamation or attempt of amalgamation of different religions. Amalgamation means to just throw it all in a pot, bring it all together. Different religions, cultures, or schools of thought. What it means is this, that we just take... Well, let me do that even better. Let me show you what it means. This is what it means. Syncretism means this, that we, we have this relationship with Jesus... And this relationship with Jesus is this beautiful plate when we get to the buffet. But we have this foundation, the plate, that has truth. And we go, but ah, that's not enough. So we go to the the food bar. And we take a little bit of Buddha. And we take a little bit of Mormonism. We take a little bit of good guy. We take a little bit of Islam. Islam we take a little bit of humanism and all of a sudden we have this plate, the foundation full of all these other lies ooh that offended somebody someone in here got real uncomfortable when I said all those things are lies (laughs) the reality is this either this is true or it's not I, I, I I didn't write it now, the reality is this. Either that's true what I said, lies, or this isn't true. And if this isn't true, what am I doing? What are you doing? Other than wasting your time and wasting your money and wasting your energy. It goes back, there's no in between. There's truth and there's human secularism. That says I determine what truth is. It's this buffet that the church... And pastors have seemed to eat upon lately. Syncretism isn't new. We've seen this throughout history. Why is it so important to understand? Those who forget their history are uh, condemned to repeating it. You forget your history, you will repeat it. I think that's a lesson that we need to be learning in this country today. But it's true in our own lives too. It's true in our own lives. Let me show you what it looks like historically in a biblical sense. Deuteronomy 7, 1 through 5 says this. When the Lord God brings you into the land that you are entering you to take possession of it. And clears away many nations before you. The Hittites, the Girzites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Prezerites, the Hivitites, the Jebusites. Seven nations more numerous and mighty than you. And when the Lord God gives them over to you and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. He, he, He says, go in, destroy every living thing in the land. Sounds harsh. In fact, have you ever had that thought? or Have you ever heard someone say, man, how could God be a God of love when in Deuteronomy and, and, and the Old Testament, he said, kill everybody. Every man, every woman, every child. That just sounds pretty heartless. Now, what you have to remember when you make that statement is God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. Uh, He sees beginning to end. You see a moment in time. You go, oh, God is not very nice. But God sees the totality. So uh, let's keep going. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away uh, your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you, and he would destroy you quickly. But thus shall you deal with them. You shall break down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and chop down their ashram and burn their carved images with fire. Why? Why did God say to utterly destroy everything? Calling and purpose. See, verse 6 says this in Deuteronomy. For you are people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possession. Out of, the, out of all the people who are on the face of the earth, God chose you. God chose you. Purpose, calling, holy. God chose you. You are chosen to be holy. You are chosen to be set apart. You have been created for the purposes of God, set apart from the world, and the rest of that stuff. Why would God destroy everyone, every breathing thing? We see in verse uh, 16 through 17. However in the cities and the nation the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance, do not leave alive Anything that breathes. Completely destroy them. Destroy them as the Lord God has commanded you. There's a prophetic picture here. Now, when's the last time you were up against a Hittite? Anybody lately? Good Jebusite? Anybody tackle one? No? I mean, the the hammer. The prophetic picture is that every day you deal with a Hittite. It may be, for men, maybe it's lust. That is a Hittite that is a giant that's right in your way. And God says, slay them. For the Amorites, maybe it's, it's comparison. Maybe it's, I live in Orange County, I want to be like that. I want to have that. I want this thing or that thing. And God says, each and every day, he says, take their feet out, cut off their head, destroy them. Maybe it's the Canaanites. And, and, and you're dealing with anger and unforgiveness and God's saying, no, no, no the prophetic picture is this that God says, utterly destroy every one of those in your life don't keep your pet sins in your pocket don't keep those things that you want to hold on to and then get rid of the things that you don't really care about that's not really sacrifice and he says, why should you destroy everything? because you're holy and because I have purpose for you and I'm a good God The why. Otherwise, they will teach you to follow all the detestable things they do in worship in their gods, and you will sin against the Lord your God. Why do you destroy it? Because if you don't, actually, let me. Uh, shh, Paul, come up here real quick. Come on. I woke you up. Or are you writing an email? <laughs> I was sending you text. Oh, oh, God. That was good. That was good. <laughs> it's really good. It's you quick. Talk. You're know. quick. Okay. So, what, what we said is God said destroy everything. Because He knows. What does He know? He knows that if you don't destroy, they will pull you into their sin. This is what I, my, I tell my kids. They, they hate this analogy and I've, I've done it before. Now, here's what I say. Uh, Paul, stand on that chair stand don't sit don't fall i have no insurance um i'm kidding we do have insurance so he, here's what what it looks like here's what we think as christians But i'm gonna stand up here and i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna hang around with a group of people i'm gonna play with some sins and i'm gonna bring people up to where i'm at so that they'll know god so it, it, try and pull me up to where you're at try and pull me up on that chair without falling on you. Uh, Yeah. <laughs> off you backwards. can't do it. do so, so here's the an analogy. We sit up here and we go, I can play with some of these sins. I can, I don't have to destroy utterly everybody. In other words, I can, I can pull up to me. Now here's what happens, sin, the Hittites, the Jebusites, all that, what they do is this, they get a hold of you and real easy to pull you down. You think you're going to pull them up but they pull you down. He's a lot bigger than me, a lot stronger. Not as good looking, but he's all those other things. And do and you see how easily I was able to pull him down? That's what sin does. Thank you. <laughs> Take your chair. Don't hit me. Don't hurt me. <laughs> It is, it, is, it, is, it is that analogy. It's a, again, I, I, tell, I tell my kids, look, you think you're going to pull your friends, you hang out with the wrong crowds. you think you're going to pull them up to your standard, to what is good, what is, and, and to live that life? No, 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 it ain't happening. They're pulling you down there. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. You guys sick of that one? Yeah, they're, they're going yes. But it's the same thing in our spiritual walk. Show me the, the, the sins that you're playing with. Show me those that you're surrounding yourself around, and I'll show you where you're going to end up. I'll show you where. But God says, I've set you apart to be holy. To be holy. See, syncretism it, it, it's this. In the church, it's a sin against God. It's taking all of these things, and you lose the purity of truth and who God is. You lose the value of what truth does, and what happens is... You you get into this and, and, and things start not happening in your life or things go south or things don't go well and then what you do is what we do is we blame God and God goes wait a second here you're the one who mixed all this stuff together don't sit here and blame me for you going to the buffet and pulling a little bit of everything you want to know truth you want to know peace you want to know how to get through the difficulty that you want to get through that i'm going to i'm going to carry you through it but it comes through this word not from the buffet line see syncretism and the church we see it back in in deuteronomy God was very clear. Don't mix it. Don't mix it. Keep the purity of truth in my word. Don't mix in this, this Middle Eastern uh, mysticism. Don't, miss, don't, don't bring all this stuff in here. Don't bring the secular into the holy. Don't bring humanism into the, the, the presence of a holy creator. It's a sin against God. Mixing secular humanism with the creator of heaven and earth is an abomination. Yet that's what we find the church doing in many ways. Why has the church done this? It feels better. It just feels better. We don't trust God and who he says he is. We live by feelings, and God hasn't called us to live by feelings. I was having lunch with a friend, uh, I don't know, a couple weeks ago, a month ago, I don't know how long ago, a while ago. And uh, this is a, a, a young man who grew up in the church grew up in the church has, grew up at a Christian university claims God is his Lord and Savior yet in the conversation we're having we're having a conversation about some certain sins and and he he was struggling with calling sin a sin because he had friends that were living in that sin I'm not going to pick out one certain sin just put whatever you want in there but, but it, he, he, he felt bad about the fact that, that he didn't want to tell it was another relative that they were in sin. He felt better about just, well, everybody just love everybody. And, and uh, it's because we don't trust God and who he says he is. When this word says something, when the word brings truth, when the word brings truth, the enemy comes and he tries to lie. And, and he, he, he says things like, well, that's not very godlike." Well, calling sin, sin, you can't say that about someone else. And it's, it, it is this very thing that God talked about in Deuteronomy. And when we look at the church today, what we see is this amalgamation of philosophy just seeping in. We see church after church that doesn't stand for truth. And we see churches that will embrace any human secular um, thought that is out there. And it's not God. See, times are going to get real difficult, and, and maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I've just completely missed it, and it's going to be sunshine, and, and uh, you know, uh, everybody's going to win the lottery, you know, and all, everything's going to be wonderful. I, I don't necessarily, I mean, I, I don't see that scripturally. I don't see that in the natural. I don't see that. I just don't. And, and, and things, as they get difficult, I'm going to have a couple places to stand and, and, and really get strength and really get encouraged. One is me and one is in Jesus I, I can tell you about this one over here it sucks it's not good fear increases uh, but this this trusting in Jesus brings hope It brings hope and, and whether it feels better or not is not the the, the, the issue because if it was about feeling I don't think many of you would be here this morning. (laughs) If we're honest, I'm not sure I'd be here this morning. If it was about pure feeling, I would be on the beach in Costa Rica, eating ice cream, getting ready to take another nap. But I, 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 I speak to my soul. I go, get up. And here's the beauty of it. When, when when I make those decisions, God is faithful to bring the emotions behind them. You we too many times live emotions first and then trouble second. God says, live truth first, and then emotions will follow the right emotions, not trouble one. Not living in emotions. We have to get back to the purpose of creation. We have to get back to the purpose of God's creation. He created you with purpose. He created you. What is the purpose of man? The purpose of man is to glorify God and enjoy His presence forever. That is the ultimate. We could just stop right there, but let me, let me go a little bit deeper just for you. Let me give you a couple of quick scriptures on this. The simplicity of the purpose of God. The simplicity of this. It's not complex. It, it, it is not easy to do but it's not complex it says this in First Corinthians 10 so whatever, whatever, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do do all in the glory of God it says in Revelation 4 worthy are you O Lord of God to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created and then Philippians 4 4 rejoice in the Lord always again I say rejoice the simplicity of purpose our purpose is to reflect the image of God that's what you were created to do to reflect Reflect God's image. We don't make God glorious. We can't make God glorious. We reflect his glory to others. God's purpose in me is reflected so someone else might have hope. God's purpose is reflected out of me so someone else might have truth. God's purpose is reflected out of you so that your kids might see something that's called Jesus or someone named Jesus. Your purpose, God's purpose, is reflected out of you, through you, to others, to a classroom so kids would see Jesus in you, in your workplace so Jesus would be seen in your workplace. It's a reflection of God. That's our purpose. Not too difficult. You and I are to display the glory of God. That's our purpose. To display God's glory. Sounds easy. Not so much. (laughs) Reflecting his glory in our purpose. These, let's go through these real quick, real quick. Reflecting His glory and our purpose, we were created to worship in all things. We walk in our purpose and reflect God's glory when we worship God in our marriage, in our parenting, in our workplace, in our family. Worship is not just sitting up here; that is part of worship. What what, what Grayson does, that's worship, but it's only one aspect of worship. When I love her well, when I love her well, that is worshiping God. When I When I do what God has called me to do in the church, that is worshiping God. When I have good, strong relationships with others, that's worshiping God. When money doesn't own me, that's worshiping God. So we we reflect His glory in all these areas. Number two. We're created for family, reflected the glory in our purpose. We walk in our purpose and reflect God's glory when we love others well. You reflect who Jesus is when you love others well. When you come and and you, you serve others well. When you are whole and you can love others without condition, you're reflecting who Jesus is. When you love people with their faults, you're reflecting who Jesus is. You're bringing glory, God's glory, into others' lives. Number three, we're created to become Christ-like. We're created to become Christ-like. We walk in our purpose and reflect God's glory when we disciple others. You know what that means? You have a responsibility. I have a responsibility as a Christian to grab a hold of a younger Christian and pour into him. Pour into him. Discipleship. Jesus gives us a command on discipleship in Matthew 28. Uh, number four we were created to serving God we were created to serving God we walk in our purpose and reflect God's glory when we serve others you want to impress your neighbors you want them to see Jesus impress isn't the right word you want your neighbors your co-workers your family to see Jesus love them and serve them without the the words without the look at me you, you want to you really mess with someone's head? Go serve your enemies. You want to just, boom. Go do something to someone that right now you don't like or you're, not, you're in a fight with, whatever. Just love them. That, that's the gospel. You know what that does? The glory of God hits you and goes out to them. And maybe, just maybe they go, who, who is this? Who is this Jesus? Who, who are you that, that you're doing this? Number five, I think. Oh, whoa. Can we go back? What did, oh, oh. There we go. All right. Sorry. Number five, we were made for a mission we walk in our purpose and reflect God's glory when we share our grace story we talk about this all the time we share our grace story what does that mean that you share God's goodness from your life the good the bad and the ugly you're able to show what God has done in your life you're able to take who he is and what he's done and the promises and you're able to minister to others so that others might have hope going through what they've gone through we walk in our purpose and reflect God's glory when we share our grace stories. That's why speaking and talking and telling people about what Jesus did in your life is so important. How beautiful are the feet. How beautiful are the feet. So the question, what is the purpose of man? The purpose of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. The purpose of man is, is to take the plate of truth and just eat off this Word. don't add to this Word. Don't take philosophies that, that, that uh, have nothing to do with this Word and add them to God's Word. This Word stands alone. The purpose of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Let me give you some practical ways to do that. Now, this will be a surprise. You guys haven't seen this before, so enjoy. This is what we've been talking about. You want to know a a practical way to show God's glory? Invite someone to a meal. Have a meal with someone. Have a conversation. Number two, giving. Give of yourself. Give of your finances. Give. Three, share your stories. You want to know how else? Word, pray, worship day. It almost seems like we're building something here. Read your word, journal, talk to God, worship, each and every day, each and every day. See, we need a church that walks with a biblical worldview. We don't need a church that looks like the world. We need a church that looks like Jesus. And it's, it's too muddied right now. Set yourself apart. Why? Because you're holy. And God set you apart. And he has purpose for you. And he has a destiny. In fact, Psalm 139 says, Before the foundations of earth, God knew you. And he wrote out your steps before one of them came to be. Purpose. Destiny. The first thing in worldview is to know that you are created with purpose. You are here for a reason. And your reason? To glorify God. To glorify God. Your friendships and your marriage and your time and your finances and every aspect of your life. Every aspect of your life. Let me pray and then we'll answer some questions if there are any. Father, we we thank you for this time this morning. God, I thank you for your word. Oh, God, let us stand on this word. God, get us out of the buffet line. God, everything that we've tried to mix and match, God, forgive us. Let us glorify you in our relationships. Let us glorify you in our giving. Let us glorify you every aspect of our life. In Jesus' precious name, Amen. 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 All right. Let's see if we have a couple of a couple of questions. Whoa. What? Oh, there you go. Okay. Gosh, that's, as a Christian, how do we determine politically what issues, since they seem to be involved? In, they seem to involve a difference between a biblical worldview and a worldly view are acceptable to defend is politics a beha- uh, politics as a believer something we should involve ourselves in how do we love like Christ did in the world we are in with everything being political these days gosh that's a mouthful there's a lot there okay um, uh, was, yeah, look, someone have her removed please no uh, This, that's a great, it's a great question. First of all, if you remember when we first, uh, we came into this place, there was an American flag back there. You guys remember that? Huge American flag. When we painted over the flag, some people were not happy. They were not happy. Why would you paint over the American flag? Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. Because this is not the Church of America. This is the church of Jesus Christ. Politics, here's what's happened is, is our, our theology has flowed. Flowed, is that a word? Flown? Flowed? <laughs> Fluish? Our politics have, have flown out, out of our, um, our, 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 our theology has flown out of our politics completely backwards. Look, I, the church, I think, got it wrong last cycle. And they hitched their wagon to a man who, I don't know if he's a Christian or not. I'm not judging whether Trump was a, a Christian or not. But when the church started saying, this is a man from God, that scared me a lot. I'm not saying he is or isn't. Uh, ultimately, if we believe this Bible in... in uh, 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 hebrews 13 it talks about that god places all leaders so if that is if 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 no one can be set in apart from god's knowledge or understanding or then that must mean that even biden the president we have now came through god's hands so here's hopefully i'm answering your question yes you should be involved in politics but when you're involved in your politics, it should, it should rise out of scripture, not out of emotion. So if there's a political issue, okay, do, do, let me offend people, because I did it a month or two ago, and it's, uh, okay, sorry. Uh, abortion is a political issue, correct? Anybody, would you agree with me? It's a political issue. It's a hot topic. Here's part of the problem. The, they've, they've hitched it to the church well it's, it's one of a million topics it's not the only topic but, but I've got a biblical world view here that, that values life that says that from the beginning Psalm 139, God knew me in my mother's womb, he was literally creating, I, I, it's wild to me he's in there creating me in my mother's womb and, and putting together personality putting together all that stuff so as Christians, and we're, we we talked about this, we're creating the image of God. Therefore, a biblical worldview says we don't kill the image of God. So, you know, whether it be abortion, whether it be murder, you know, a, a, a biblical worldview. But here's what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to... I'm not going to stand out there with signs going, you know, you're going to hell for abortion. Here's what we should do. We should go adopt some babies. Yes. We should go and stand with those women. Yes. Say, come to my house. Let me feed you. How can I walk you through this? <laughs> that, that's the political response. Not you're going to hell because you killed a baby no 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 come on let's how can I help you see so so we take the political side that's a political side. we take the scripture and then we apply it it says this in 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 somewhere in there it says the, <laughs> gosh my head's going the word became flesh John 1 that changed the world changed at that moment that the truth of who Jesus was was incarnate in flesh That's how political we need to be. We need to be truth, flesh, in the midst of the politics and love others well. How do we love like Christ did in the world we are in with everything being so political? I think it goes to what I said. If, if, If everything even political that we see goes through this word and then to politics and not politics and then to this word I think you got a better chance. Hate I I can't believe how many Christians that I hear that say, I hate this president. Really? First of all, let's look at a biblical worldview. You should be praying for, you should be crying out to God for this president that he'd lead us well. Big difference. Okay, is there another one? Can you give me a Christian's view on homosexuality and pride month in a way a nine-year-old could understand? Dear Lord. (laughs) Yeah. God bless. Have a great week. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I-, I told Seth, I'm like, make sure you edit him. If there's anything that's going to stump me, get it out there. And then he throws that up there. No. <sighs> can you give me a Christian's view on homosexuality? Well, I-, I-, I can give you a biblical view on homosexuality. And The Bible says it's sin. I hate it. it, it, it the Bible says it's sin. Well, let me answer another question: Can a homosexual go to church, go to heaven? Yes. Yes. And the Bible says this in First John: Those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. I know a lot of of, of great men and women who struggle with this. I, I, not unlike certain things that you and I struggle with, but a lot different in many aspects. Oh God bless them! I, I, it is it is a struggle. There's a difference between someone who's struggling. And someone who's full-blown just given themselves over it and said, "This is what I want." There's a difference. So, can you give me a Christian view on homosexuality? Pride Month. I, I can. I can be in the world and not of the world. I, I just read an article. Of the the Devil Rays. Is anybody the baseball team? There are five players for the Devil Rays. So, they, in Pride Month, they they they're having the team uh, where a patch, a pride patch, and these five guys just said, look respectfully, we're all right with the, what, what you're doing. In other words, they're saying, it's a secular world. I'm not trying to push biblical foundation and biblical worldview in a secular place that, that I've got to be right. They said, we just cannot, in all with all good conscience, wear this patch on our jerseys because of our religious convictions. He's like, and, and, and they, they, they the guy was very eloquent and very well-spoken. He said, look, look, I, I'm all, do all those things. I just personally can't wear that when I go out there. Yeah. See, there, there's this tension. It, there's this difference between, you're going to hell. And Jesus loves you. Yeah. It, the, the, you got to walk in that. I don't know if I explained it for a nine-year-old could understand. I think that if we're talking about a nine-year-old, just put truth. Put the word in them. Pray over them. Trust that this word will not come back void. Trust that as you speak truth. Trust is that, let me tell you with your kids, they're going to perceive and watch how you speak about different sin. And if you're that self-righteous Christian, just bashing the hell out of things and people, your your children and others are watching. If you've truly experienced God's grace, and and your mindset is is literally, oh God, only by your grace, there there I go. It's only because of your grace. If you can live there, it's huge. Do we do we want time for one more? Or? OK, last one. Short one. Oh, he gives a long one. Language evolves over time, literally language that is archaic someone what Archaic. See, I can't spell it, so I can't read it. Archaic can't necessarily be in the absolute truth. How do I navigate the reality that certain messages meant something different in context without failing the test? Words have meanings. You're absolutely right. Words hold value. We see historically when when words lose their value, societies break down. They literally fall apart. There's a great book, Thomas Cahill, How the Irish Saved the World. And he talks about the four or five things that, that allowed the Roman Empire to fall. One of the four or five things was the loss of values of words. That they had no meaning to them okay so when we talk about evolving over time uh, yes but what we also see is the consistency of truth in words and language from genesis to revelation in other words yes is yes and no is no there's no that hasn't evolved over you know four thousand years yes is yes and no is no um we need to get a little more specific on what words. I mean, he, here's where I would go. Romans 2, which says this, that God gives us a conscience. And if you haven't seared that conscience, what do I mean by that? If you haven't completely rejected God living in a just a, a retrobate way, you know, you, you have some... Con- the Holy Spirit will bring conviction. And when someone tries to bring confusion with words, you step back and you, you look at the scripture of words, um, I think there'll be a conviction about it. It's hard to get away from truth when you know what truth is. So I, I don't know if I answered that that well or not. Um, but I, I do know this, that... Seth, what are we going Do you have some? Oh, there, there's one more. Okay, then I can get out of the rest of this one. Keep going. No. <laughs> Words matter. Can you explained the idea of, of radical candor during your story about calling out sin. Is radical candor a biblical idea? Yes. And no. And what I mean by that is when you are connected to, to God, when you walk in the in the power of the Holy Spirit, when you read your word, when you pray when you are walking with God then yes and no what do I mean there are times that God tells me to call out sin and there's times that God just says be quiet now here's the key are you walking in a relationship in such a way that you hear the Lord or are you just that guy that just calls out like machine gun just sin 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 or are you the guy over here a girl over here that does doesn't say anything there's a time to call sin sin there's a time to sit and the Holy Spirit says shut up love them and by you just loving them and not going sinner 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 the Holy Spirit's able to do something that he couldn't do if you stood there and you're beating them over the head calling them a sinner does that make sense it goes back to what I said at the end of the message pray each day talk to God each day read your word each day and when you do those things, you hear from God, and you make decisions accordingly. You make decisions accordingly. All right, let me pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, uh, for this time. Lord, if there's anything that wasn't answered or answered well, Lord, I, I pray that you would speak. Lord, I thank you for your truth of your word and who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. We're finish this time as we receive communion. Paul, will you throw me one of those? And then... Uh, not bad for a hockey player. Um, the Bible says in the night that Jesus betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body that was broken for you. And he said, when you do this, he says, do it regularly. Do this when you come together. He says, when you do this, remember me. And this is the time of remembering. And they received the bread. And then they took the wine which represented his blood. He says, when you do this, remember what I did for you. I washed away your sins. He said, literally, remember that, that when you walk out of here, there's no condemnation. There's freedom. There's no guilt. You're free in Christ Jesus. And they received the blood. Father, I thank you for your son, Jesus, that we can walk in freedom. Thank you for who you are. God, let us be the church. Lord, let us grab a hold of a biblical worldview. Lord, as we come into that relationship with you, God, that you would, in us, God, that you would reveal yourself in greater ways. I thank you for this time this morning. In Jesus' precious name, amen.